Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Dirty Friend Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Terence Corrigan. Terence, how are you? Hello. Good to see you, Terence. And we also have uh, Sora gone. Sora, how are you? How's it? Very good. Well, let us get oh, stuck nice. into I'm. You know how I am? I'm just fine, because it's Friday. <laughs> uh let us get stuck into the news, though. Um, so we're going to start off, I think, with just... And these stories seem to be kind of endless right now. The shocking decay of Johannesburg. Um, you know, Johannesburg has not been the greatest run city for the past sort of, well, I would say, at least a decade, if not longer. But at the very least, it's sort of managed to kind of hold the line, I think, in some areas of service delivery, despite the fact that it is this very fast-growing city. Unfortunately... Um, I think since the sort of very shaky coalition has come to power in Johannesburg, the, the uh, ANC, AIC, EFF coalition, uh, things have not gone particularly well. Um, some cases in point, uh, two Johannesburg healthcare facilities, that being Helen Joseph Hospital and Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital, uh, which I both believe both have had shortages of water and Gift of the Givers has had to put in a borehole at at least one of those hospitals uh, are now facing their electricity being cut off by city power. City power says that it, it uh, on Thursday, it held a utility cutoff operation targeting 10 businesses and a number of residents. And they claim that these two hospitals together owe the city 30 million Rand in unpaid electricity bills. Uh, apparently Helen Joseph owes 23 million and Rahima Musa 7 million. Um, the city power has gone go on to say that in the next two weeks, if they do not pay the bill, then power will be cut off. Uh, at the same time, we've got various um, areas of the city, places like Rosettaville, uh, Talisa Park, and Oakdean, without power, uh, sorry, without water for 55 days. That's, that's completely insane. Um, uh, local people in the area are complaining, saying that it's really difficult, particularly for old people, to deal with the situation because they can't carry water. Uh, and to make matters worse, occasionally there are sort of bubbles of water that are being, uh, oh, sorry, of air that are being pushed through the mostly empty pipes, which cause the water meters to spin. And so one household was charged for 14,000 liters of water, despite the fact that they were receiving literally none. From the city so it really seems as though everything is in a sort of state of total chaos in johannesburg as uh, kind of city services meltdown um sorry let me start with you this business of the hospitals owing electricity money and being cut off surely it should never have come to this i don't know who's to blame here i think you know without knowing the facts of exactly how the account looks i can see an equal chance that either the hospital didn't pay or alternatively uh, that the city has billed them incorrectly. Um, what do you make of this? Um, I think both of those are possible, probably at the same time. Um, I think uh, my suggestion on this is that the city council go and have tea with our president and ask him to withdraw 30 million rand from his 91 investment and pay the fees over. Um, 
non-payment is one thing, and that's basically a, a strategic fault on the part of the ANC in the struggle. No, cutting hospitals off because they haven't paid their electricity bills, that, that's another level of, I was going to say, another level of callousness. But I actually don't think it's callousness. I think it's stupidity. Terence, what do you make of all this? Uh, you know, <laughs> when you're having some of the most important hospitals in the city at risk of being cut off of electricity, this is clearly a crisis that needs direct <laughs> intervention by, I mean, the mayor of Joburg, the, the uh, premier of Karting should be all over this, but so far it doesn't really seem like it. What do you make of this? I think you just worry too much. Just a hospital. <laughs> clearly. You know, it's just it's just just water. It's just thirty million rand. None of those things seem to matter particularly. Um, yeah, uh, um, I do know that 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 uh, this is a sort of issue that's that was flagged as far back as the early two thousands. That non-payment was also a um, a problem amongst uh, amongst institutions and amongst businesses. You know, everyone you know thought it was concentrated on kind of low-income householders, but it was seen essentially as a cheap form of credit, that uh, there's not going to be any serious um, uh, any serious blowback, and you can just put off paying this until at some point it's written off, or, you know, you can make some sort of plan. And, um, yeah, you know, I... I I wonder whether whether this perhaps wasn't going through the minds of um, of the hospital administrators. Oh dear, we seem to have lost. Oh, there we go. Um, we seem to have um, th th thought we may have lost you momentarily. Um, could have been uh, ineptitude on the part of the of the hospital administrators, or as you say, maybe you know they just lost track of the payment. It's happened. It's happened to me. Um, but yeah, you know it. it it shouldn't. It shouldn't be happening. Not not in the country's economic capital. You know, when I when I lived in Taipei in Taiwan, there was a. Um, I, I, I met this guy who worked for a communications firm, and it, their their job was to translate every statement that came out of the mayor of Taipei's office into nice clipped English. And apparently, there was another group that did it into Japanese. Why? Because they were Western businessmen who who lived there or visited, and they have to they have to know. That they have to, they have to see Taipei as a um, as a serious international destination. Um, yeah, well, fifty five days with no water. I uh, you know you, you can't spin this in any language. No, that's exactly right. Um, it really kind of seems that Joburg is actually heading for some sort of uh, I think sort of governance crisis that uh, on on a level that you know, we haven't seen yet. Um, I, I, it's interesting that, you know, when you look at the census data, um, one of the things they did in the census that just came out was they looked at uh, inflows and outflows of various uh, provinces. And, you know, there's some patterns you'd expect, like, for example, there's a lot of people moving to the Western Cape and a lot of people moving out of the Eastern Cape. There's a lot of people moving out of KZN. Um, you know, you, these are kind of, stories that are talked about quite often in the media. But what's quite interesting about Kharteng is Kharteng is on average growing, you know, far more people are entering it than leaving it. And yet a huge number of people are still leaving it. 
And I suspect that in many cases, you're probably going to find that's the cities, middle classes, people with money, people with skills, leaving to other parts of the country or overseas uh, to find better opportunities. And that is exactly how you turn the country's economic heartland into an economic wasteland. Um, Sarah, any more thoughts on this before we move on to the next topic? No, I mean, excuse me, before it became, it turned into this sort of crisis, one of the sort of strange harbingers of this was um, under Panyaza Lasufi um, as education MEC. Not because he caused the problem, (laughs) but he he sure knows how to exacerbate one. So, and we taught in education, and of course, because of Joburg is Joburg, what you're finding and this is just in, on, on, on sort of one issue. Obviously, parents are not necessarily moving to Gauteng. Obviously, some would. But sending their children to school in Gauteng. And the, the pressure that started to put on schools that added to the existing natural pressure that was going to happen was led, you know, partly led to a lot of the crises of, of, of schooling in this, in, in this province. <clears throat> One of the problems, of, of course, is that you, if you're not, if, if your other province's education is appallingly bad, parents will pretty much try and do anything to get their children into better education. And essentially what ended up happening is that all schools were, were under pressure and if they were suburban schools, you had accusations of racism, etc. as well. So it's it's the hallmark of a ruling party, I think, that has never really it, 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 there are two problems. Like, <clears throat> one is it's it's never had the wherewithal or expertise to predict the problems on the back of warnings of these problems. And there's and on the other hand is they couldn't they haven't the capacity to do anything, even if they predicted them. And I think that is probably our greatest, our greatest um, tragedy. I mean, I, I know it's similar, not not dissimilar things are happening in the UK, but all I can do is sort of smile and say, well, <clears throat> you know, the UK can kind of get it together if they put their minds to it. I think we've managed to put it in a situation where getting it together and repairing it is. Maybe it's impossible. Maybe it is just impossible. But underlying all of that, cadre deployment, corruption, theft, all of those good things, you know, you end up with an an absolutely um, atomic explosion. So the the next municipal elections, um, which will affect Johannesburg, are in 2026. Uh, And quite frankly, I don't think that it's a wise idea to wait that long. And so I actually think that it might be a very good idea for, and and both the DA and the ANC in in Johannesburg have sort of toyed with the idea. The DA has put out a statement saying that they want to uh, dissolve the Joburg Council. And the ANC said that they might support such a motion, but they're not sure yet. Um, I think that as this crisis mounts, that's a very important thing to happen. The voters need to be able to establish, uh, to, to, to shake the politicians up and down and hopefully produce a more stable, functional coalition in the city um, uh, through the ballot box. I think that that's an imperative now. We can't wait till 2026 in Johannesburg. Okay, let us move on to our next topic.
Um, and this is about President Thabo Mbeki, who has increasingly been in the news. Um, and he's increasingly been in the news for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is his growing fear that South Africa is on the verge of some sort of counter-revolution, uh, something which he has referenced our boss, Dr. John Endress, uh, presentation um, in talking about the <laughs> looming threat of the counter-revolution. Um, but more than that, he's also been very critical of the ANC and uh, what he says are its failures to basically renew itself. So the ANC, too much fanfare, adopted this resolution 2017 that it was going to uh, root out the so-called rogue elements that had infiltrated the ANC, which is what the ANC blames for the problems during the Zuma years, uh, and uh, that uh, these infiltrations led to an escalation of corruption, money politics, convicted criminals being elected to or appointed into critical positions in the party and government, as well as unqualified and unskilled people leading important state organs. Mbeki says that this renewal project started supposedly in 2017 is all talk and no action, um, and that President Ramaphosa has basically failed to do anything to properly transform the organization into something that will be capable of uh, rescuing itself and the country from the current situation it's in. Terence, what do you make of what uh, President Thabo Mbeki is saying? You know, is he right? And also, why is he suddenly so much back in the news? Well, I think what he's saying is a very simple translation. They miss me yet. Um, I, look, I think that 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 that, that with Mbeki, now I don't, you know, we we'll always be careful about trying to see inside people's heads. But I think that uh, he always had this like sense of mission, sense that he was uh, on, you know, that, that 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 he was a bearer and a shaper of history. And when he was defenestrated, that um, uh, uh, that hurt him. Now he's getting on in years, and I think you know he wants he wants to secure his legacy. What is he saying? Uh, yeah, look, um, I don't dispute any of that as far as it goes. Um, let's just bear in mind that the uh, that the sort of awfulness of the um, of the ANC was in many ways um, already apparent, although not as glaringly as now. You know, when 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 he presided over things, um, remember that uh, it was under his watch that we had things like the. Uh, Jackie Celebi affair. He wants to talk about people being put into the wrong positions. I seem to remember uh, ANC MP Maria Rantau saying it's imperative that imperative no less that we get rid of uh, merit as the um, uh, as the defining feature for appointments. And uh, she went on to the Public Service Commission under said uh, uh, esteemed President Thabo Mbeki. You know, and I imagine that her her perspectives on on these matters prevailed. And you know, here we sit. Uh, and as Martin Luther might have said, I can do no other. Um, so, yeah, no, look, he wants, uh, I, I think, you know, one has to be, one has to be sort of deaf, blind, dumb and mute not to see the uh, scale of South Africa's crises. Um, under his presidency, you would be shellacked by, you know, by, by, by a column in ANC Today, which apparently you wrote late on Thursday nights. Uh, accusing you of Afro pessimism and whatever. Now he's sort of joining in, but in, in a way it's because he's not carrying the can. Um, and so you know he can make uh, he can make various suggestions, which you know amount to not my fault. You guys did all of this, and uh, you know please please do it better. But we must do more of the same. Um, proper look, 
proper renewal looks like entering the 21st century saying that, you know, we actually need civil servants who know what they're doing, not uh, 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 deployed cadres, that uh, there's only so much the state can do. And when we talk about the South African state, it's a rather more um, uh, restricted universe of, 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 of possibilities. Um, and, you know, please drop the counter-revolution. It's so 1996. <laughs> yeah, you know, Mbeki is such a kind of interesting figure in the sense that he was in many ways actually one of the best presidents the country's ever had. Um, we had some of our best years of economic growth. We had reductions in crime. We had all sorts of things going on when he was kind of towards the end of his presidency, um, 2005, 2007, that area. But he also laid the groundwork for so much of what has gone wrong. Uh, you know, he really, as you, you know, you pointed out, he undermined merit, he racialized so many things. He, uh, and of course, the most glaring and awful of all of his legacies, which is the, the HIV AIDS denial, which uh, led to so many deaths. Um, Sorrow, what do you make of this? Uh, you know, I think for the ANC, it is a bad sign when essentially probably their most or second most successful president, depending on how you fit Mandela into all of that, um, is, you know, kind of savaging the party as being inert and unable to transform. Uh, what do you think of this? You know, I think in a way, and I think he would be very proud of what I'm about to say. He, he's, he's a Shakespearean type tragic figure. Um, for the reasons you've just given, given the, the, what, what we achieved in those early days, this is before anyone kind of was supposed to know what they were doing. Um, but the fact is that you can say what you like, but once you've dropped a caused the um, you, the, the age of your populace on average to drop to below sixty percent as a result of of the AIDS crisis, um, which the only reason it's not still in the headlines is because the drugs work, but certainly the transmission is, is appallingly bad. It's still the worst in the world. Um, and then, of course, there's the fact that Tom and Becky could have made the difference between Zimbabwe succeeding and being left with Mungagwa as their president. And those are two legacies that it doesn't. he can swing from the chandeliers. Nothing he says or does now is going to is going to remove those the, the blots from that from that legacy. I remember having the impression when the whole AIDS thing was happening. You know, he's very much your. He was probably more Eurocentric than any of us put together were. I mean, he spent the struggle in Europe, particularly in the UK, um, thinker, academic, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and he couldn't help under that that ex, that calm but enraged interior see a man who probably came back to country he didn't any longer understand and he saw the challenges and he saw the AIDS debacle. He saw the crises and he saw, so he, he was not ready to come back to a country in Africa in crisis. And I've often wondered, I know it's a bit sort of conspiratorial, but I've often wondered whether part of his, AIDS denialism and the science that underlay that was his way of dealing with the issue. 
Okay. Yeah, no, uh, there might be something to that. He uh, he clearly, I think, I think felt some discomfort um, with with his place at the head of the ANC. Um, Terence, your final thoughts on this before we move on? Well, on the on on the AIDS question, I think that um, he hitched his um, his his start to the idea that he was uh, uh, that that he was the great Africanist. Um, which was funny enough not a not not a role that many would have would have would have cast him in. Uh, Zuma, I think, you know, was would have would have fought would have would have fitted that 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 bill far easy far easily far more easily. And I think that you know the idea that there were a lot of kind of signifiers around this, you know, sexually transmitted disease and whatever. And he simply wasn't willing to um, wasn't willing to wasn't willing emotionally to concede that. Um, I will say one thing though that um, he he was ridiculed for uh, for the, the stances he took, but he actually seemed to know the stuff in fairly um, fairly impressive detail. I think it's the danger of knowing just enough and not not too, or you know, knowing a lot but not but not enough. Um, same reason why you know you can have conspiracy theorists who can get into the most arcane minutia of an issue, and the whole thing really is just is is is, is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, you know, I I think he was he he was also in in in, in a sense quite a tragic figure in that he um, uh, he, he was imprisoned by his uh, his attachment to his party. Um, and I think sadly had never had never really had a life outside of it. Um, apparently, when he you know saw his father for the first time after coming back from from exile, this is like what thirty years or something. He greeted him as comrade. Um, and you know something that I think endeared Zuma to a lot of his supporters was that you know party man. He was still you know very much a kind of mensch if you if, if I can appropriate the word. But you know like you know he he was a polygamist and he had. 20 odd children but he seemed to love all of his children and he was proud of them and you know if he was going to make a couple more well you know that's just the way things roll out um yeah a lot of you know a lot of kind of sort of identifiable human warmth and fallibilities that went that went with him of course we paid the price for those for that human right. fallibilities, didn't we um although you know the one good thing to be said about zoom's time is that he did end the disastrous AIDS denialism uh, that is true. So. Anyway, um, I think we're going to do two more stories very briefly. This one, another thing coming out of the census. Uh, so the census looks at a bunch of things that uh, are kind of indicators of how well South Africans are living. And I think a really useful one um, that the census looks at is the number of people with flush toilets in the country. So about 70% of South Africans have access to flush toilets. Um, and then uh, you've got kind of the rest is divided between the sort of uh, five categories. There's people with flush toilets. There's people with pit latrines that have no ventilation. There's people with pit latrines that have ventilation. Uh, there's bucket toilets. And then there's no, no sort of toilet facilities whatsoever. So about 70% of South Africans have flush toilets. 2%, which is something like a million people, I think, have bucket toilets. Um, the best provinces are, you know, 
unsurprisingly, the Western Cape is sort of 93% having flush toilets, Gauteng with 89% having flush toilets. The worst two provinces are Limpopo, where only 35% of people have flush toilets, which is fewer than the number of people who have pit toilets with no ventilation whatsoever. Um, And in Pumalanga, 27% of people have pit toilets without a ventilator. now, the bucket toilets thing, I think, in particular is egregious because if you think about, um, you know, kind of quality of life, that's pretty close to, you know, the most desperate that I think people people suffer from. And the ANC in particular has promised pretty much every election that they're going to finally eradicate the bucket toilet system, and yet it hangs on. And still, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people having to use these things. Um, Sorry, what do you make of this? I think it's it's really quite simple. It's let's move away from the expectation that 100% of the population will have flush toilets in the near future. Um, pit toilets are not necessarily the worst alternative in 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 the circumstances, um, but they are. You know, the, if engineers in this area will tell you you can you can create good, decent pit toilets. You don't have to end up with the sort of things that that school managements in rural areas saw but didn't do anything about, waited for the government to do something about it, and then and then ch- children drowned. Um, so from a practical point of view, it's ideal as it would be, and I certainly understand this, to have a flushing toilet. A good toilet is a is a good alternative. But a bucket system? Um, in, in anything other than an immediately established, a suddenly established um, um uh, what do you call it? informal settlement anything outside of that you is is just incredible and i think your point on the pit latrines there i mean that's i think why the census distinguishes between ones with ventilation and ones without ventilation because ones with ventilation you know if you like live on a farm or something very far from from like and it's difficult to put it a septic tank or something like that uh, even if you're relatively wealthy, you might have a little dream. But if it's got ventilation, then it's probably not so bad. Um, and I think that is the distinction between the kind of the really nasty ones. It's just like a pit in the ground, uh, and yeah. uh, and and uh, you know something that's a little bit more engineered. Terence, uh, what do you make of this? You know, this this is one of those things that I think really should hurt the ANC's governance record. Is the fact that they you know they keep promising to get rid of these things and they just can't seem to do it. Yeah, look, I, okay, I think I think to be fair, my my view is kind of glass off full, glass off empty. Because if you do look at the at the trajectory of uh, available of you know provision of flush toilets, whatever, it has gone consistently up. You know, South Africa is doing better now than it was at the, at the time of the last uh, the last census. What is the figure you gave about seventy percent? That's yeah. not that's that, that's not unimpressive. Um, yeah, on the other hand, it's the sense of not being able to catch up with 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 increases, and as you degrade the capacity of the state to actually do so you could slam into reverse gear very quickly mm. um and you know as you say uh, the um uh, informal settlements are something that we are going to just probably have to deal with for you know for another generation even in the best case uh, the best case scenarios it doesn't necessarily mean these places have to be dreadful to live in and you know mm. obviously dealing with waste and providing potable water, you know, to the sort of terrible, terrible twins of delivery failure, um, are, um, are, are, uh, are crucial. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, you know, when when the the bucket toilet retains its uh, its uh, decrepit and uh, foul smelling hold on the country, we, you know, um, we have a problem. And yes, you know, I think I think it I think it should it 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 should hurt them. But then again, you know, you need this is this is a kind of microcosm of the macro issues that need to be turned around. Exactly. Okay, uh, now we move on to our last story, and this is just an update on the situation uh, in, in Israel and Palestine, where uh, the Israeli Defense Force, the IDF, looks like it's about to launch a ground operation in uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, they announced today in a statement that the Israeli Defense Force, uh, they say, quote, we are calling for the evacuation of all civilians of of Gaza City from their homes southwards for their own safety and protection and moved to the areas uh, south of the Wadi Gaza as shown on the map. The Hamas terrorist organization waged a war against the state of Israel and Gaza City is an area where mili military operations will take place. This evacuation is for your own safety. You will be able to return to Gaza City only when another announcement permitting it has been made. Do not approach the area of the security fence with the state of Israel. Sara, what do you make of all this? Um, I think it's it, it, it's perhaps it highlights best the double standards applied to Israel over any other conflict in the world, and that is it is the only military that has ever given warnings to the civilian population of strikes because Hamas houses its units in populated areas, in hospitals, under schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hamas planned this operation meticulously and executed it meticulously. If, if they either in, did it for one of the reasons for doing it was that the Israelis would attack back and, you know, the, the, all, the, the site of suffering um, Gazans could then become uh, a propaganda uh, fodder, or they, were, or they didn't think ahead and, you know, maybe they spent too much time sipping tea with the ANC. I, 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 I don't know. But all I can say is, as far as the rest of the world go, goes, the UN, UNRWA, which is the only refugee agency dedicated only to the Palestinians. Everyone in the rest of the world has to have the UNHCR uh, sort them out. The Arab world, which has money, Israel gives the warning they should have been there yesterday in Jordan, in, in Egypt, in any other area to deal with it. No. Hamas says, don't move. They are there saying, Israel, you save our people's skins. Nothing will happen. Israel will go in and we'll end up in the propaganda situation. So that, in a very blunt and, and inelegant way, is my way of saying, sadly, it's going to be tough. That, that's, 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 that, that's, that's really the one thing. I mean, it's... it's, it's I, I, I mean, words do fail me to an extent because basically what's happening is that the reliance is on the on the on the military that's going to exact the inevitable re revenge for what happened on the weekend, not to create a a um, civilian catastrophe in Gaza. I think it's this simple: if there is a civilian catastrophe in Gaza. It is entirely at the at the is to be laid at the feet of Hamas. Oh, it's going to be 
very grim stuff and hopefully we can all hope that it ends as soon as possible with as few deaths as possible but uh i yeah i think it's probably going to be quite grim anyway we will see um and that is all the time we have for today so we hope that you found this episode interesting thought-provoking etc etc and we will be back tomorrow uh, sorry not tomorrow on monday with the daily venture cheers